0: I just got to say one thing about the building work day yesterday. Thank you to so many of you that came out and helped with that. We had a really solid crew working on that. But I got I to gotta say, uh, MVP was definitely Ms. Deborah Whitaker right here. Um, and she, she, was, she was getting it. And, uh, and I know like I know sometimes we have that silent shame of spilling coffee on the chairs, and, but we're not going to tell anybody. And so we get stains and stuff like that. Is that, is that a little, was that edgy? I meant for, I meant for it to be just a little bit, um, but uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. Uh, but Miss Deborah was over here, uh, and Skylar was helping out with, the, with that too. But she was over here with a shampooer of some some sort, just going at those things. And so, if you're sitting on a clean chair this morning. I, I want you to dream with me just a little bit, and if you need to kind of close your eyes and do that uh, this this morning, you, you're more than welcome uh, to do that with me. But just imagine somebody come dream dream with me just 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 for a couple minutes here. Imagine somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever idea that you have, I want to invest in you, whatever that is." So just kind of just take take a couple seconds just to think, what would you do with that? How would you respond? Do you have an idea in mind? I do. I've, I've, I've got a dream. Do you guys want to know what it is? I don't care. I'm yeah. going to tell you anyway. <laughs> I have always wanted to own a miniature golf course. I've, I've always wanted to manage and own and run a miniature golf course. That, that has been a dream of mine since I first played putt-putt down on Midlothian Turnpike. Uh, near where I grew up I've always wanted to own like a tournament level I would I would want to you know they have like professional miniature golf I don't know if you know that and you're like, oh, my goodness, what a, what a nerd, you know. Um, but I, I would love for it to be that kind of quality. And, and it, would be, it would be the 18-hole putt-putt miniature golf course, and that, that would be there. Uh, but in the clubhouse area, there would be a miniature arcade. I'm talking you've got to have pinball, Turtles in Time, Super Street Fighter II, uh, Pac-Man, Galaga, you know, some, some classics in there. little miniature arcade area, but we would also sell gourmet ice cream. Okay? So I'm talking about, like... Good flavors that are out there that you you might not typically get. I mean, we'd have some classic strawberry and chocolate and vanilla, the boring stuff, but, you know, like ginger, avocado, orange, you know, flavor ice cream as well. Some of you are like, what? But it would be amazing. And right next door, it was, the building, it, you know, you kind of have the clubhouse, but right next door, that's where we would also open up. Uh, Renee could manage this and run this, but it would be the coffee shop there, Bakery items, you know, enough space for there to be some, like, co-working spaces and that, that kind of stuff for that. And that's, that's just phase one. <laughs> so phase one is once we get all that up and running on that property, we, once, that, what, once that's a well-oiled machine, what we would do is we'd buy, buy the, you know, 10 acres or so that's attached, that's just open, open space. And I would design and build a, an 18-hole pitch and putt there. And that, that's phase two. And so that's what, if somebody said, hey, I'm going to come up and I'm going to invest in whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever business idea you have, that's it. So if you know anybody, you can send them my way. Not as many laughs that time, okay. <laughs> Maybe we took that one a little too seriously. So, uh, but that, that's, my, that's my dream, that's what I would do. Of course, somebody who had the money to go do that, they don't need me for that. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll just I'll go do that myself. You know, so what would be really great is if, um, I, just imagine, is if you were able to generate enough wealth in your life to be able to do whatever you wanted to do. Now that would be cool. Then you you wouldn't have to be reliant on anybody else. You'd j- just be able to go do your own thing. So I mad, like I, I dream about. Man, wouldn't it be cool if uh, if like my future self came back to the past and had some like futuristic sports book, and that way I could just I could I could see like all the all the all the events that I could bet on and generate a, a lot of money, and, and that would be really cool. And it could even, I could probably even sell the rights to a movie, It'd be a good second film in a trilogy, call Back to the Future or something like that. Um, if that did happen, though, and I found myself suddenly gaining wealth at an obscene rate, I, I know that I would have really good intentions that I would be altruistic in nature, that I'd have all these plans. Of, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a lot of money away and all those kinds of things. I'm going to you know, buy my parents a house. Well, they already have one, so I don't need to do that, so I can keep that money. You know? um, I would use my wealth for good, but what most o- often happens in our lives, and unless there's some significant life-altering event that comes, comes along, is the more aqu- we acquire, the more amplified our current thoughts and attitudes and habits become in our lives. And maybe you've experienced this even without recognizing it. For, for example, many of us can remember maybe our first jobs. My first ever job is I went around to houses in my neighborhood and I, I mowed their lawns. And I think I made like 15, 20 bucks a lawn uh, doing that then. So I definitely uh, was way too cheap at that point. And, and, I, and I would say, like, as I've developed and I've worked, you know, worked some minimum wage jobs and all those kinds of things, that I, that I recognize that there have been times in which my pay has gone up in my life, and yet the level at which I spend always seems to kind of go along with it. Have you, have you noticed that? Like, you get... I don't know, you get a raise or you get a new job or that kind of thing and it's like, well, you know, now I can, you know, the house that I can afford is a little different, or the car that I can afford or you know, the groceries that I can afford are a little different. Or those kinds of things, it always seems to go up together. Why is that? Cuz cuz that's what we do. We're in that habit. That that's just kind of how our thoughts and stuff go go along along together with it unless we do something unless we do something different. And so, in a culture that's hooked on, you know, continue to rise with with our pay and struggling with debt and those kinds of things. One of the things we say, one of the conventional wisdom things that we say is, hey, you should live within your means. And that means that, hey, this is wise advice when we have unsustainable spending and we're buying things we can't afford. But the teaching of Jesus causes us to look at this from a little bit of a different angle than what we typically might think. There's a lot of wisdom in setting a healthy budget and living by it and saving well and planning for the future, having quality over quantity in our life, all of those kinds of things. Last week we talked about generosity and we talked about how it's the type of giving we participate in when we are content with what we have and therefore joyful about the margin we create in order to be giving to God and to others. After all, it's not ours anyway. We're stewarding it for God. And so living within our means is a great starting point where, where we should maybe get to if we're not there yet in our life, and we should utilize tools like budgeting and discipline and accountability to get to that point where we're generous with our money and resources. But the space we want to be in when it comes to how God thinks about our resources and how Jesus teaches about what we do with our stuff it is a little bit different. And it's not just, hey, can I afford to live how I want to with what I make, but is it's, it's this. The standard is not living within our means. It is, are we living within meaningfulness when it comes to what God has blessed us with, the steward? So in, in, instead of living life within our, our means, perhaps a, maybe a bibble, more biblical worldview way of thinking about it is, are we living within God's meaningfulness for our lives? When it comes to our money and our resources and what we do with them. We know we can't take it with us. We know it's God's anyway, and he calls us to be generous in such a way that models his generosity towards us. Right, so we, we know that that's the case as we read through Scripture. So the meaningfulness to which we aspire then is born out of the investments we make into God's kingdom that produces a richer life on earth as it, as it is in heaven and that produces a more inclusive life in the eternal life to come. Normally, when we talk about investment, which is what we're talking about today, this morning, uh, together as we look through Scripture, we're gonna, we talk about strategies we can utilize so we can gain more resources in order, to maintain, in order to either maintain our lifestyle or to enrich our lifestyle or retire in the lifestyle we most desire. And in order for us to understand what God thinks and expects about how we handle investing our stuff... There's some really challenging teachings from Jesus that are really important to highlight that direct our thinking on what it is a meaningful approach to investing what we have and who we are that, that really is a completely countercultural way than most of us have ever experienced or grown up in or, or live in currently. Especially because from a financial advice standpoint, conventional wisdom is, hey, we, we invest in ourselves. We've got to plan for what's happening in our lives. That's, that's the most important thing we do. And if there's anything left over, that's great. We can use that for good things. But Jesus kind of teaches a, a completely different way for us to approach that. And so we're going to look at three different teachings of Jesus in Scripture. The first one is from Matthew chapter 13 that helps direct our thinking in how God thinks about investing the stuff that he has given us to steward so the first first thing we're going to read this is from Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 and 45 and these are two small parables that Jesus teaches back to back it's the treasure in a field and the pearl of great price some of you may have heard this before and this is what uh, this is what Jesus says he says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so Jesus is teaching this. He's, he's laying the groundwork for how we think and how we value what God is doing. His kingdom on earth versus our kingdoms or any of the other kingdoms that are established that we participate in. And so they represent the value of the kingdom above Everything in life, whether or not we come across it unsuspectingly, some of us come and discover Jesus, and we, we, it kind of comes out of nowhere. And I think it's God, the Holy Spirit, leading us through. Some of us have been seeking something that's of true value in this life, that's lasting, that's worth putting our time and effort into, and we come to Jesus, and we discover that's that's where it comes from. But what we do to acquire that thing. The kingdom of God, what we do to acquire this thing that's val- more valuable than anything in, in, in life, reveals whether or not we understand its worth. So, so there's a reason, for example, when Jesus teaches, and we just talked about this uh, in our last sermon series, why we are called the, the greatest commandments to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, with everything that we are. Being with God is worth everything, is what Jesus is teaching in this parable. Everything of who we are, every aspect of our life, there, there's no compartmentalized place of our heart, soul, mind, strength stuff that we keep from God because everything of who he is and everything of what he's given to us is worth everything that we might have that's already his anyway. Whereas others might view the actions of this man and this merchant mentioned by Jesus as really unwise and rash behavior, Jesus is saying that this is the only natural reaction for that which is fundamentally most important and most valuable than anything else in life. So here's the second teaching from Jesus, and this is from Matthew chapter 19, and we're just going to read a couple of verses from this. This is uh, from an interaction, this is not a parable, but this is from an actual interaction that Jesus has with a young man who happens to be very rich. And so this is in Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start reading in verse 20. But this interaction starts because this young man comes up to Jesus and he wants to, he wants to kind of feel comfortable about where he stands in his relationship with God. So he comes up to, to Jesus and says, hey, what, what do I need to do to, to get eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, well, uh, you keep the commandments. You need, you need to do that. And he says, which ones? Jesus rattles off a couple, you know, probably shouldn't murder anybody, honor your father and mother, don't steal, you know, those, those kinds of things. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, well, I've done all of those things. And Jesus says, yeah, right. No, he, he, he doesn't say that. He says, well, that, that's, that's great. That's amazing. He said, in order, order to obtain this life that you're looking for, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. So I've kind of gotten into the text that we're going to read this morning. In verse 22 of Matthew 19, when the young man hears this from Jesus, he goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And keep in mind, this, this is not like a theoretical interaction that Jesus has with somebody. Uh, it would be much more palatable to say that Jesus doesn't really mean this. Of course he doesn't mean this literally for this guy to sell everything and, and come follow him. I mean, there, after all, there's, there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with being rich or anything like that, but this is, this is actually what Jesus says and this, this man goes away sad because the notion of following of God in this way meant that he would have to give up his lifestyle. And Jesus is calling this young man to invest in God's kingdom over the kingdom of his own making. And when this young man considers the delayed gratification that Jesus is asking him to participate in, he decides in that moment to love money more than God. And Jesus knew this about his heart. And he knows this about our heart, too. Remember, we talked about last week how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I mean, that's, that's the temptation, that's the trap that Jesus is trying to help this young man avoid in his life. Because when we love possessions more than what God treasures, we settle for less than the greater that is to come. We, we know what delayed gratification is, don't we? I, I think it's being taught less and less. I think it's being expected of children less and less, and it's certainly not expected of adults at all anymore, right? We just, we just go and do what we want. We go we'll go buy the thing we want. We go, go get the thing we want. And yet, it's a basic common sense life skill that all of us desperately need. The idea that um, if we put off something like spending money on bougie coffee, I'm not judging your Starbucks. I'm just, just pointing out that maybe if you, instead of buying that regularly, you saved up for a year and just think about the vacation you could go on. You know, it'd, be, it'd be an amazing thing. Or you know, knowing that you got food at home, but you run through fast food and you, you spend that money that, that, you, that you don't need to spend. Or even, even just going a little bit farther and giving in to some of the addictions that we do that never satisfy nor accomplish what we want. Instead of building healthy habits and dealing with things head-on in our lives, you know, that delayed gratification that if I put in the work now, there's going to be so much of a greater benefit then. Presumably, this young man could have made a substantial impact on the well-being of his community, but he couldn't see past the then and there, the, the right now, and the change in his lifestyle that he would have to, to deal with in order for that impact to come Come uh, to pass in his life. He couldn't see past the estimation of his own well being to gain the godly perspective Jesus wanted him to have. And so here's here's a third teaching of Jesus, and this comes in Luke chapter 21, the first couple of verses. And this comes, again, this is not a parable, this is something that, that, that actually takes place, and this comes in an observation, the form of an observation that Jesus makes at a distance. Um, just before this passage, if you look in Luke chapter 21, the last few verses, you're going to see this scathing condemnation of the pretentiousness of the religious elite and their self-aggrandizement. And it uh, follows on the heel with this observation that he, that he makes that's a really powerful comment on how we think about our money and God's blessing in our life and what we do with it and how we invest it. Luke chapter 21, Jesus looks up They're at the temple, and he sees the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. So I've got this picture in my head. As Jesus is looking across, you can almost hear the sound Of the bags of gold and silver that the rich are dropping in the money box, because you got you got to give it a little bit of distance, right? So you can hear the clunk, you know, as as the bag falls in, or maybe some of them kept kept their coins loose you know so you can kind of just hold her over there and 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 turn your hand and ching 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 you know as as the the coins follow in and and everybody's kind of hanging out and the, you know the the people that are there you know they're well to do and so you know they got connections and relationships and they're kind of moving on and talking with each other because you know life is good and they're blessed by God because you can measure that based on how much wealth you have that's that's how you know that God has blessed you right is by how much stuff you have well that that's that's that was common teaching of the day. It's a common teaching in our country as well, but it's commonly wrong. Here comes this, this woman, and she takes her two small copper coins and she drops them in the box, and she probably doesn't hold them up high. She probably puts them as low as she can and drops them in. They probably don't make a sound. Not, not over the talking and the relationships and stuff that are going on. She moves on. And, no, and you know, nobody's necessarily looking down on her, although if they pay attention, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, I can't believe she's, I mean, she's a widow, not even married. You know, so her value is... Um, that was the attitude of the day. Um, and, and, she, and she moves on with her life, and yet Jesus sees, sees that, and it, it was enough for him to stop and to point this out. You know, the, the people who are wealthy come in and giving their stuff, um, that, that's an amazing thing, that's to be celebrated, and that's, that's a good, wholesome thing. What they were doing wasn't wrong, but uh, their attitudes very much were, generally speaking, that in, in those situations. Because in, in giving out of their abundance, all they were doing was meeting expectations, I mean that, that was yeah god gave you those things to steward and 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 to give out of that so yeah yes you should be doing that thing but but it was it was it was always done in in a display of man look at, look at what i'm doing for god in the, in this moment but this woman giving out of her poverty that meant she was in a place in life that her she she really believed that faithful obedience to God and that God will richly provide everything for our enjoyment, everything that we need, would really take place if she entrusted all that she was and all that she had to him. Her giving was an act of faith that what she was investing in was bigger than just her. Whereas for others, it was kind of more of a, yeah, look what I'm able to do. And yet, she understood that if she were to give in this way, God would be... uh, would would. Would allow her to be fully sufficient in, in having her needs supplied, all in the same the same practice and coming together of faith and obedience in the spiritual discipline of investing in God's kingdom. And and that's part of that's part of what we engage in when we invest in what God has given us to steward. Giving our all to God is an invest, investment in the sufficiency of God's grace for our lives. Listen, I. I like just full disclosure, I'm not a I'm, a, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an investment banker, um, I'm not a CPA even. The best in tr- investment strategies I know, you know, here's a good ja- dad joke for you. Somebody says uh, you need a good tip. You know, buy low, sell high. That's that's a, that's a good one. That's one of my one of my investment strategies. I think you should follow that. It'll go really well for you financially. The second one, though, that that we all know and we all know we're supposed to follow is: don't ever put all your eggs in one basket. You know what Jesus says? Put all your eggs in one basket, right? The worst financial advice that you could give to somebody, Jesus says, you should put all of your eggs, every single one, all of your chickens, the coop, the feed, like put put all of that in one in one place. Put it all in one basket. Go all in on the kingdom on the kingdom of God, with your life, with your resources, everything in concert together invested in God's provision and God's kingdom. And the things that He is going to do with that is going to far surpass anything that we might experience right now in our life. That that what might come you know down the road while we're alive, what what might come down the road in, in eternity is going to be far more exponentially greater than than the little that we like to hold on to that we have right now. Um, when I think about this, I often think of Rich Mullins. Um, some of you may or may not know. Uh, Our God is an Awesome God, He wrote, wrote that song. Some of you, like, uh, 90s contemporary Christian music, really popular during that time. So there's probably songs that you sung maybe you don't even know that, that he wrote. How many, how many of you know the name Rich Mullins? Okay, m- many of you, but not everybody. So a very successful... Songwriter, lyricist, uh, just wrote really powerful lyrics. And so he, um, he, he did plenty of concerts, saw, you know, wrote a lot of songs that famous people did and, at the time. And um, one of the reasons I think about him when, when I think about investing in God's kingdom is that he, he was a pretty successful guy. And so at least made somewhere in, in the millions, you know, as, as far as money. But he never saw any of that. And it wasn't because somebody did him wrong or anything like that. It's because uh, in his career, he made the decision to uh, not handle his money himself. And so what he did is he had the elders of his church and his manager and all that kind of stuff, the money went to, went to the church for them to manage and then distribute and give to charities to the poor. Um, he actually went to live on a Navajo reservation to uh, spend his life living and working among the poor, uh, poor there. And he said, just give me whatever the, the base, you know, average American salary is at the time. So we'll say uh, at, at the time... Um, that was probably around $27,000, is w- what he lived on per year, when he had millions in the bank. But he never saw it, and he never touched it, because he didn't want to fall into the temptation or trap of that, that ever-increasing lifestyle creep that comes with increase in our life, without that discipline of generosity and investment. And so... Um, Rich Mullins died in 1997, really young, tragic car accident, and yet for like 10 years after that, his family continued his foundation and were continued to give, able to give and provide for the poor. And, and I imagine there are so many different ways um, we could come up to criticize that approach like you know rich Mullen was very much he was trying to build god's kingdom and not his own but we could say, oh but he could have man if he, he could have had more discipline then he could have invested the money and grown that you know million to to several millions and he could have kept that going for 20 years you know all, all those kinds of things or we could explain how you know being rich isn't sinful and so that's all right i mean he could have lived a little bit more comfortably and they're, they're not, you know he could have made 50 grand a year and that would have been nothing wrong with that that would have been okay um but by all accounts, the decision-making process for, for this in his life was, was simply based on a pursuit of obedience and guarding his heart so they wouldn't be swept away by love for the money that he was receiving. Conventional wisdom, when it comes to our stuff, is that we want a good return on investment as part of our strategy with our money, that, that we want to we make sure that there's some percentage of gain as a result of, of what we do with our stuff versus, what, you know, what we put in versus what we get back. But how we define a good return on investment when it comes to the kingdom of God is just based on a different set of metrics, especially as we think about these teachings of Jesus about, about this as he goes through and teaches, teaches the disciples. So we look back at the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price, and we learn that there's nothing more valuable in life than the kingdom of heaven. that's it, and that everything about us and everything who we are should be fully given over to this. And we learn from the rich young man, um, despite, again, conventional wisdom, that we're more enriched by what we give away than what we keep to ourselves. And we learn from the widow and her two coins that the value of what we invest is in the quality rather than the quantity. And maybe I would amend that into what we invest into. The assumption is the kingdom of God. Because when we couple the generosity with which God expects us to approach the use of our money and resources and the investment strategy of the kingdom, giving then becomes the spiritual di- discipline that develops generosity and produces sound spiritual investment. So it, it might be one of those things where we think, you know, well, the chicken or the egg, which one comes first? You know, is, is that, well, I need, to, I need to get to a place where I feel more generous and that, that I want to make better investments before I do that thing. Well, Giving is the habit that we participate in for us to get to that point. Like that, that's, what, that's why God puts that in place. That's why that command and expectation is there. And it's nice to know that generosity with God is never wasted. That God never lets his investments in the kingdom return void. The ways that we respond to what God has to say about money in scripture, they're varied. We're supposed to create margin in our budgets to be able to give to the poor, and we create margin to share with those who need it within the church, and we set aside a portion of our income to sustain the work of the kingdom. These are the rhythms of giving that disciples of Jesus have been participating in since the beginning of church and even begin, uh, uh, beginning with God's interaction with, with his people. It's always been a part of the spiritual discipline and rhythm with our relationship with God because he knows that this is an area in which that we need growth. And that we need to be protected from, our hearts need to be guided guided in, because our focus can be so separated from who God is and what he's up to when we're fully focused on what we want and only doing what we would like to do. These are the rhythms that we're called to participate in, and when we do, we thrive, and when we don't, we, we struggle. Paul doesn't hesitate to talk about this. Uh, he mentions this multiple, multiple, multiple times in letters that he writes to the churches that he has worked in, that he's vid- visited with. And 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is a really good example of this, just the first couple of verses. Um, I, I'm actually going to uh, contextualize it a little bit with what he says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All right, so there's that reinforcement of what it means to invest everything of who we are into, into God. And then he just goes into this really practical thing for the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first, so this, this is what we do as, as, as congregations. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I just imagine Paul, like, going, like, knocking door to door, you know, just like we do here at the church. Uh, you haven't gotten a visit yet? Just let us know if you haven't gotten a knock on your door asking for money. Uh, just, just kidding. Uh, then, when I arrive, Paul says, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve. And send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And so here's this set expectation as, as, Paul, as Paul's uh, readers uh, get this, that everyone is budgeting a portion of their income to give to support the church at large. So this is just a basic expectation of people who follow Jesus. As the people who are part of a church, this is what we do. And so for some uh, who, are, who are reading this, um, that, you know, as Paul writing this to the church at Corinth, they're, they're remembering that God institutes this, this thing called the tithe in the Old Testament. And so they're setting apart 10% of their income would have been the starting point for them. So that's what they're setting aside, the portion that they're coming to give to, give to the church. For others, I imagine that they're looking for those two copper coins, that, that they have, um, that maybe all that they could uh, afford to give, and, and they all put that together. And when that happens, as we steward together what is God's, He causes the increase of His kingdom by allowing us to participate by giving back a portion of what already is His, regardless of what the amounts are individual, individually. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for those who participate in the spiritual discipline of giving here at this church. Um, There's so many people who give regularly, honoring God with generosity and investment in how he chooses to use this assembly of disciples. There are folks here that are uh, are just grateful to give. Like, it's one of the things that they look forward look forward uh, to doing. Um, and recently, we, we were talking about giving stuff, because it, talking about the sermon topic in our small group. And I, I just, you know, the just the conversation and hearing people say, you know, I'm really looking forward to my new job because I'll be able to give more regularly because I'm not doing contract work anymore. I'm just thinking like that. That's just a wholly different way of thinking. It's not because um, the, 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 the motivation behind that is, you know, Velocity just produces really good religious goods and services. <laughs> and I, I'm like, that's, that's, that's great. Like we could go through and we could talk about why I think it's important that we invest uh, in our staff here because we believe that investing in people matters. Like more more than anything, that's uh, that's that's something we invest in people. Invest in people. That that's that's a thing. We talk about the way in which we like like to use our building um, and how we use that to serve the community and other groups that are using it here. Like we use it more than just uh, an hour or two on a Sunday, which I think is really cool. We can talk about ministry that we do next month. We're going to start talking about moments of hope and, and feeding people again, those kinds of things. And I think those are all good things and healthy things, things that we should be about as a church. But that's not the motivation for why we enter into the spiritual discipline and we're obedient to God with, with this. We give because it glorifies God. I mean, that's, that's why we, we talk, about, talk about giving every week. It's part of our worship. It's, it's something that we prepare for. Um, We've had really, two really important conversations about how money is influential in our lives over these past couple weeks and how it can become a whole lot more meaningful. The reality is whether or not we give as congregants of this church has a very direct impact on our church. And I would love nothing more than every single one of us to be generous, excited investors in Velocity's part of the work of God's kingdom. That's a very tangible, real thing that matters. But even more so... And I know some of you maybe have had experiences where you're like, I'm not sure if I believe what this guy is about to say because of things that you've you know read about churches in the past or uh, experiences that you've had with other churches in, in your life. But even more so, I care about the spiritual well-being of our hearts as a congregation. And giving impacts that even more. And it's a very tangible, real thing that matters as well. And so... The important conversation for us to have about this is, is just to say, hey, if, if you're not generous and if you're not investing in the kingdom, I want to encourage you to take a step forward in that. It's, it's, not about, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. It's about looking at God and saying, you have given everything of yourself to us. Here's one small part and way in which I can participate that and reflect that back to you. I, w- I would love to encourage you to be a giver here at this church. Um, if, if you are a giver at this church, uh, if you're becoming one and are one, I want to encourage you to continue in the generosity and investment that's marked by joy, being a joyful giver and knowing that what what God does in and through us far surpasses what we are able to bring to the table. It's, it's what he is going to do um, in the work of the Gospel of Jesus, in which we participate as stewards of all that god has given us let 's let 's pray together God as we as we worship um, together and as we uh, worship through Scripture and we think about w- what it means to practically follow you as disciples of jesus god we, we know that uh, sometimes it 's easier to think, think of things that are less less tangible, um, just how we feel about something or you know, being able to uh, participate in the kingdom in, in ways that um, are uh, we feel are are spiritually driven, but but this is this is no less of a spiritually driven issue in our lives. God help us to help us to have a godly perspective on that. Help us to develop uh, whatever whatever we do practically with what we know Jesus teaches to us. Uh, help us help us to develop that practical application of spiritual discipline that. Um, that, that changes and grows our hearts, helps us to develop the joy that you, you want for us by being uh, people who are, who are giving, who are generous, who are investing in your kingdom. God, we uh, thank you for knowing how to, how to direct our hearts, how to approach us in such a way that helps us to develop hearts that are like, like yours. God, thank you for blessing us with what we have. Thank you for always providing for our need, even in the moments where it seems like maybe, maybe it's a struggle, that you, you, still, you still always come through for us. And God, we praise you for that. We honor you for that. We know that you continually promise to always provide for everything that we need, to always give us all good things. And God, we honor that with our faith and with our obedience, and we praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.